0: listen to the deal on spotify it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 43 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, Unformidable. So it's World Series time, and we somewhat, mostly, made it through a perhaps ill-plotted, truncated season. And we have a World Series matchup that is somewhat tolerable tolerable from the Met fan perspective, I think. No Yankees, no Braves, no cheat Astros. I kind of assumed the only way 2020 could end baseball-wise was the Yankees versus a 500 Cardinal team that randomly ran through the playoffs like 2006. But instead we have the Rays and the Dodgers, and I have to admit, despite how ill-advised this season seemed at times and how hard it's been to care. It was kind of fun having an LCS and now a World Series that has been somewhat of a decent distraction. Depending on who wins, I think there are some good, possible, unformidable candidates to celebrate or discuss the winning franchises. Uh, We shall see. If you have any suggestions or thoughts, please reach out to me. Uh, But for this week, I thought I'd... Slightly World Series theme, take a look back at a player who had a memorable near Hall of Fame, Hall of Very Good career, as is often the case. Sadly, that was mostly not with the Mets. Rather, he came to us at the tail end of a career. Uh, he didn't live up to his expectations for us and left the franchise after his one season with the team in 1976. Uh, much like Nicky Lulich's career, that 76 season marked a bit of a dividing line uh, for the Met franchise as well. Uh, while the team never reached the heights of 1969 again, uh, the Mets were at least consistently posting a winning record um, over every season but one between 1969 and 1976, hovering on the fringe edges, edges of contention, uh, of course jumping in in 73, uh, before they entered another very fallow period uh, from 1977 to 1984. Uh, but more pertinent to the current baseball discussion, left handed pitcher Mickey Lolich had one of the most memorable World Series performances in history in Detroit, where he racked up most of his career accolades before donning the orange and blue. Michael Stephen Lolich was born. September 12th, 1940, in Portland, Oregon. A famous southpaw pitcher, uh, Lolich was actually right-handed as a toddler, or at least favored his right hand per his parents. Uh, until the age of two, he rode his tricycle into a parked motorcycle, which fell on him, um, and the accident broke his left collarbone. Uh, the young toddler was in a cast for four months, uh, wearing cast on his left arm for the whole summer. When it came off, he performed exercises to strengthen the torn muscles, and yada yada yada, a southpaw was born. Because apparently he really strengthened that arm up. uh, Because as a teenager... The left-handed pitcher began to develop the big fastball that he was known for, pitching quite brilliantly for local Babe Ruth and American Legion teams, uh, setting Oregon State records for strikeouts. In both 1955 and 1957, he led teams to Babe Ruth and American Legion World Series, and after a 19-5 record as a senior in high school, he signed with the Detroit Tigers on June 30th of 1958 for $30,000. Blessed with that big fastball, uh, the young Lolich was more of a thrower than a pitcher. Although he shed that at la- his later reputation, gained more control in the minors in 1960. In 127 innings, he walked 107 and struck out 135. And as that would indicate, perhaps no surprise, that he took a long, circuitous route through the minors, occasionally displaying a diffidence or skepticism that his career would turn out as well as it did. One year, he reported late to spring training because he took a civil service exam in Portland with an eye on a job as a letter carrier, I guess in case the whole pitching thing didn't work out. And it almost didn't in 1962 when he reached AAA Denver, where... Lolich struggled horribly, uh, in part because he got struck by a line drive right below his right eye, uh, according to Lolich, which made him a bit gun-shy, understandably on the mound. Uh, His pitching suffered badly over the following starts. He went 0-4 with a 16.50 ERA in nine games, and upset with the team, perhaps for not understanding the reasons behind this, the line drive... He actually refused to report when the team wanted to demote him to AA Knoxville and was suspended by the Tiger organization. Lulic returned home to Oregon and wound up excelling in semi-pro ball and also in the PCL with the Portland Beavers where he actually they worked out an arrangement with the Tigers where it was okay for him to pitch there. and he actually credits that time a lot to helping him develop his career and helping him kind of rededicate and get prepared for the show primarily a two-pitch pitcher early in his career fastball curveball Lowlich threw in the low to mid 90s used that curveball to set it up although in 1971 he added a cut fastball uh, which helped him later in his career he claims uh, maintain longevity and excel later in his career he quickly established himself as a durable, reliable starter, um, probably a quintessential two or three starter for most teams, winning between 14 and 19 games every year between 1964 and 1974, with some nice strikeouts, uh, averaging between 7.4 and 8 per nine innings early in his career, which was you know pretty pretty solid, pretty high for that era in particular. And also he gained a reputation as someone who took the ball often, starting between 37 and 45 games a year six times, and he completed 195 of his 496 career regular season starts. But if you know the name Mickey Lolich, you probably know it in the context of the World Series, because it was for his 1968 World Series performance and for several complete games that he is most well-known. So after his 1967 Tiger squad fell one game short of the pennant and a matchup with the eventual world champion St. Louis Cardinals, the 68 Tigers went all out, winning 103 games and cruising to a pennant in the year of the pitcher and a matchup with a Cardinal team looking to repeat. The Tigers were led by 24-year-old Denny McLean, who only won 31 games that year, famously the last pitcher to win 30 in route to the first of two Cy Young Awards. Uh, So McLean, of course, would get that prime Game 1 matchup against the Cardinals' ace and the future NL Cy Young winner that year with his 1.12 ERA, Bob Gibson. The Tigers got rolled for nothing in that Game 1, and Gibson struck out, I believe, I'm pretty sure, still a World Series record, 17 Tigers in that game. Uh, Lolish wouldn't strike out 17, but his 9Ks were enough over 9 innings in Game 2 for helping the Tigers even the series, and to boot, the notoriously poor hitter uh, also hit a home run in his first World Series at bat. This uh, is 110 career average, never hit a regular season home run, but went deep in the World Series. The Cardinals would take a commanding 3-1 lead in the series over the next two games, uh, again in game four, Gibson dominated McLean. Uh, so in game five, uh, Lowlich surrendered three runs in the first, but buckled down, and the Tigers rallied, won 5 3 in another complete game victory by the lefty. They're back still firmly against the wall, down three games to two. Uh, the Tigers decided to roll with their top two pitchers. So in game six, Denny McLean went on two days rest and went the distance in a 13-to-1 drubbing of the Cardinals, which meant Mickey Lolich on two days rest, would take on the great Bob Gibson in game seven of the 1967, excuse, 1968 World Series. Uh, and it was an impressive pitcher's duel, scoreless into the seventh, uh, in the bottom of the sixth, Lolich allowed two base runners, Lou Brock and Kurt Flood, and picked them both off of first base, uh, which meant the game would go scoreless into the seventh when the Tigers would have a two-out Nenon rally, plating three off of Bob Gibson and staking Lulich to a lead he would not surrender. Uh, he became the 12th pitcher to win three games in a World Series, uh, the last as of 2014 and probably the last ever doing three complete game World Series contests in one year. Uh, the 1968 World Series MVP went 3-0 and with 27 innings pitched, 21 Ks, and led the Tigers to that memorable 3-1 comeback and World Series victory. And though people kind of point to it as you know the pinnacle of his career rightly, uh, if anything, Lillard seemed to settle into a groove after that, buoyed by that World Series success. He actually had his best years in seventy one and seventy two. Uh, nineteen seventy one, he went twenty five and fourteen, threw three hundred seventy six innings, struck out three hundred eight. Uh, he was a runner up in the Cy Young voting that year, third in nineteen seventy two. In seventy two, also. The lefty saw his only other postseason experience. Uh, first of all, he actually won his final start of the season, giving the Tigers the AL East uh, pennant, striking out 15 Red Sox. And the Tigers finished a half game ahead of the Red Sox. I, I still find it fascinating that that was just okay back then. The, team had the teams had the same number of losses. Uh, the Red Sox played one less game. And yep, just give the Tigers the American League East flag. But so it went. And uh, Lulich pitched well in the ALCS, but the Tigers would, of course, lose to the future world champion Oakland A's. Uh, And Lulich was decent, but uh, that great Tiger team fell apart. And in 1975, the Tigers bottomed out, going 57-102. and Meanwhile, our beloved New York Mets... Were Again, in the first sustained stretch of success in franchise history, uh, they were mostly consistently hovering above 500, winning about 80 to 83 games a year, which of course was good enough to sneak into the playoffs in 1973, uh, but mostly they were finishing third uh, as the Pirates became the general team to beat in the division. In 1975, Mets finished 82 and 80, 10 games behind Pittsburgh. Uh, The team was, of course, led by its triumvirate of great starting pitchers, Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, and John Matlack, who helped lead them to the playoffs in 1973. Uh, Familiar story, down through the ages until maybe this year, uh, where the Mets uh, generally a more pitching-oriented franchise than hitting. And in fact, the 1975 season, the Mets saw their first player ever record 100 RBIs in a season, that being Le Grand Orange himself, Rusty Staub. And you might think, hey, the Mets finally have a great offensive player. That's great. We're going to build around him. Uh, but no. With his 10-5 and 5 rights pending, where he could have refused to trade, um, and with Staub having the second-highest salary on the team at 120000 behind Tom Seaver, who... No one would believe if you told them, only had another year-plus on his tenure with the franchise himself, the Mets rewarded Rusty for that 100-RBI season with a trade out of town. Uh, I never knew this. I learned uh, researching for this pod that the Mets actually worked out a deal to send Staub to Baltimore for Doug DeSensei, who had a mere 31 games of Major League experience at the time, uh, but frankly, uh, that would have turned out to be a pretty good trade uh, for actually for the veteran, as to, since they put up forty-one point seven WAR according to Baseball Reference over his career, and yeah, you know, well, not an A-Rod or Nomar for that era was a impressive hitting shortstop, and uh, I believe member of the world. Uh, actually, no, Cal Ripken was the shortstop on the. 83 Orioles. He must have been in with the Angels at that time, uh, but uh, very good, uh, very good ball player. Uh, would have been a perhaps much better remembered Met trade. Uh, but Met ownership at the time did not want to exchange Staub, uh, Rusty, for a rookie. So the Mets in- instead traded Staub, coming off one of his uh, most productive years, to the Detroit Tigers for 34-year-old lefty starter. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, Lulich had 10 and 5 rights of his own and actually did not want to uh, report to the Mets. He initially exercised his right to veto, uh, but he lifted that after his attorney uh, and the Mets administration, uh, M. Donald Grant, Uh, the GM, convinced him that the transaction would be financially beneficial for him, uh, because of how beloved Staub is, and also because Lillidge well, didn't do great, and it wasn't a great trade, uh, and how good a 1976 Rusty Staub had, It's I think this is remembered as yet another horrible Met trade, and really it ain't great, uh, although in his age 32 season, uh, Rusty himself was about to start a decline, and his uh, 2.9 war in 1976 was really his last very good season, uh, but, you know, Rusty was pretty beloved here, as he had been in Montreal, and frankly, in 1976, uh, we had a team that had a bunch of strong starters and a suspect offense, so the trade really didn't seem to make a lot of sense for any but penny-pinching Met reasons, uh, an era that we hope is finally, finally, finally over today, uh, if the current sale of the franchise. Uh, gets its official approval. Unfortunately, the 76 season turned into a bit of a runaway, uh, not for the Mets, but the 1976 Mets actually had a pretty good season. Uh, the Phillies just had a random, insanely good year. Uh, by July 4th, 1976, on the nation's bicentennial, Philly was uh, 52-22, 12 games ahead of the 43-38 and Mets. Uh, Where the team was successful, it was thanks to their pitching. Uh, Seaver had a customarily great season. Matlack and Kuzman were great as well. Uh, All three of them had five war or better seasons. Uh, Well, actually 4.9 for Matlack, but come on, let's round up a little there. Uh, So the team probably didn't need, though, was a 35-year-old fourth starter who did not want to be there. Uh, Lolich did acquit himself decently on the mound, certainly not his best season as he was reaching the end of the line, but he did have a slightly above average 101 ERA plus and a 3.22 ERA over 30 starts, Uh, and he did have a couple of highlights. Uh, He threw a pair of two-hit shutouts in a uh, four-start span. Uh, The two hitters are both thrown at Shea against the Cardinals on June 29th and the Braves, on July 18th, but the uh, quote-unquote blue-collar hurler, who was very beloved in Detroit, uh, did not take to New York as he had taken to the Midwest. He never moved his family to New York, uh, he didn't like the city, pretty outspoken about that, uh, which makes me really not like him, uh, I have to admit, <laughs> and during his one season with the Mets, he battled with the both the Met trainer and the Met pitching coach who wanted him to run and also wanted him to treat his arm with ice. Uh, Lolich famously never iced his arm. He had a routine where he took scalding hot showers uh, and soaks to treat his arm after pitching which, given the number of innings and games he threw, I could understand uh, perhaps not wanting to deviate from a routine that had worked for him for so long. And Insofar as running, well, uh, if you Saw his mid-to-late career physique. Uh, you would probably guess he wasn't a huge fan of the excessive exercise that running might entail. Again, under different circumstances, or you know, less a uh, more competitive year, uh, 76 mets might have been uh, uh, better remembered. They were deceptively good. Uh, kind of a last gasp team, uh, the the fumes of those six, 69, 73 squads, uh, but you know, of course, of course, they played an era with no wild card, and they had a team having an incredible year, running away with the division, who in turn got squashed in the LCS by the big red machine juggernaut in uh, in the NL West, uh, but the. 86 and 76 Mets did finish with the fifth best record in the National League that year. Uh, their Pythagorean record was 91 and 71 for the year, so they actually underachieved. Uh, again, their run prevention and their pitching was excellent, and their actual 86 and 76 record was the second best record to date in New York Mets history uh, from '62 to '76 in their 15 season. Uh, as of, again, of course, that '73 team very well feted, but You know, won a really scuffling division with 82 wins. Now, as I said, Lolich was unhappy in 76, uh, and he had one more year left on his contract, and he disliked being a Met so much that he actually retired temporarily in order to get out of the last year of his contract. And, you know, perhaps fitting for someone who once, uh, you know, almost went to be a civil servant and work for the post office instead of pitching. Baseball, uh, Lulic did indeed sit out the 1977 season uh, in its entirety before signing with the San Diego Padres, uh, who gave him a two-year deal uh, for the 1978 season. Uh, he, with the Young Padre Club, he performed well out of the bullpen. He went 2-1 with a 1.56 ERA in '78, And <clears throat> I think he kind of knew the end of the line was coming, though. He had lost quite a bit off his fastball. So... He decided to work something new into his arsenal and worked a knuckleball in. Uh, Alas, it didn't help him a lot. He had a very inconsistent 1979 season, uh, after which he decided to retire and return to his home in Michigan, uh, where he, again, he really loved it there, and he was a very popular uh, player, uh, and figure in Detroit. Uh, in his year off in baseball from the Mets, he ran a donut shop in uh, Michigan, which was apparently very popular as well. As I said at the top, you know, Lulich had a near Hall of Fame, Hall of Very Good Career, and I don't even think I appreciated how much so uh, when I started researching this. Uh, upon his retirement, Mickey Lolich had more strikeouts than any left-handed pitcher in baseball history. Uh, of course, he was quickly passed by the man known as lefty himself, Steve Carlton. Uh, but Lolich actually held the uh, American League record for strikeouts by a lefty until just a few years ago, uh, when CC Sabathia passed him a bit before his retirement. I think officially in 2017, Sabathia finished him, uh, passed him. Uh, and he's still uh, 20th all-time in strikeouts, uh, fourth among left-handed pitchers behind Randy Johnson, Steve Carlton, and Sabathia. Lulich uh, was one of 26 players on the final ballot for the Hall of Fame with the Veterans Committee uh, but in 2003, but didn't make it. Uh, he always felt that his lack of winning a Cy Young award was a major factor, um, perhaps... Probably not the only one, but, uh, you know, you can see where he felt he uh, was deservedly close. And, in fact, if you look at his numbers over his career, they are very impressive. Lulich put up a 48.0 war, uh, according to baseball reference, even. He won 217 games and lost 191 over his career with a 3.44 ERA, uh, through three thousand six hundred thirty-eight innings, striking out two thousand eight hundred thirty-two, uh, he again started four hundred ninety-six games in his career, and through one hundred ninety-five complete games, uh, forty-one of those being shutouts. In his one season for the Mets, Lulich put up an even one WAR himself. He went eight and thirteen as a New York Met, uh, 3.22 ERA, 192 and two-thirds innings pitched, uh, 120 strikeouts, um, but an unhappy time apparently for Mickey Lolich. and uh, just for some more specific uh, stat-based context, as I said, uh, Rusty Staub in his four years with Detroit put up 5.5 war, uh, according to baseball reference, so again, not not great use of an asset, especially when they could have turned it into a young shortstop, uh, but, you know, perhaps not the, uh, not the horrid uh, trade that people remember. Uh, you know, again, I think by traditional metrics, you know, Staub had a pair of, you know, put up 96, 100, and 121 RBIs for the Tigers, and in fact finished fifth in the MVP voting in 1978, uh, probably by, uh yeah, well, wasn't a great trade. Look, but in, by med standards, uh, it there have been worse ones. Far, far worse ones. But I digress. Um, one other final fun note that I saw is in looking up uh, similarity scores on Baseball Reference, uh, the most similar player to Lolich is Jim Bunning, the only similar player in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the second most similar player uh, was someone who... Probably nearly succeeded Nikki Lolich in being World Series MVP, where it was it were it not for the incredible offensive exploits of Don Clendenin in the same World Series, and that being our own beloved and truly unforgettable and unformidable lefty Jerry Kuzman. And it, it seems like a fair problem al- analogy for what I gather Lolich uh, was in Detroit, you know. Uh, very popular, very notable, very memorable uh, player, much like Kuzman here. Uh, slight notch below Hall of Fame, but no less beloved here. Uh, there, uh, alas, he did not have uh, an impressive late season impact with the New York Mets. Uh, more, uh, I say Tom Glavin, but that's that's not the right analogy. But uh, yes, uh, regardless, his time here may not be remembered terribly fondly, but. Uh, an impressive career and an impressive World Series uh, for Mickey and a and one uh, Unformidable year in New York. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Uh, you can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I am on Twitter at Wolf W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unforgettable. Thank you, and as always, let's go meta.